Hi, welcome everybody to Beyond Autism podcast series. In this uh, series, we're looking at health and well-being, and but we're still being inspired by research and practice. So I'd just like to introduce you to the people that are with me here today. First of all, I'm going to go to the lead author of this case study, and it's Jordana Lyons. Hi, Jordana. Hi, Andy. You OK? Yeah, good. Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, what you do, qualifications and so forth for, for the yeah. listener? Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm a ABA supervisor at um, Beyond Autism. So I work at specific, specifically in the tram house um, kind of sixth form. Um, so working with kind of our older learners um, and obviously really important um, kind of teaching of like life skills and independence. Um, so I'm a qualified uh, BCBA. So I've been qualified nearly two years now. Um, and yeah, just love, love working at Beyond Autism and just teaching our, our pupils. Um, yeah, great fun. Awesome, thank you. And then we're also today lucky enough to have um, our head of therapies, Tom Bailey, and Taylor Christensen, one of our OTs. So, Tom, could you kind of introduce yourself? I know you've been. This isn't your first time on this podcast. No, it isn't. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm Tom Bailey, head of therapies. Um, I'm a speech and language therapist by profession. Um, I've been with Beyond Autism since September. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to to chatting through this very interesting topic. Thanks, Tom and Taylor. Hello. How you doing? Good, thank you. So this is cool. my first presence, I guess, on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm an occupational therapist. I've been working at Beyond Autism for almost two years now, um, specifically within Parkhouse and the Post-19 service. Happy to be here today. Oh, very cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. So we're, we're taking on, uh, I think, I mean, not necessarily in the general um, education world, but certainly from a behaviourist point of view, we're kind of taking on something today that uh, doesn't necessarily intertwine, um, albeit there's plenty of practice that goes on within the school services and beyond autism service generally it looks at it. So we're looking at particularly, or Jordana's going to take us through uh, the title of her um, case study, which is using a modified using modified zones of regulation curriculum to teach emotionally emotional regulation to young adults with a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. And then just from the point of view of the types of things that have been inspiring to Jordana, she's not necessarily going to cover all of this stuff, but the source material uh, that was looked at was um, COP from 1982, Antecedents of Self-Regulation from the development perspective, and that's developmental psychology. Prisant et al, looking at the CERTS model. Williams and Schellenberger, how does your engine run? And then other little, uh, other references, um, there's one from Whitebread et al in 2012, and then a reference to the zones of regulation from Kuypers in 2011. So these are the things that have inspired this. So guys, obviously we work in a multidisciplinary team environment. Uh, uh, the services are underpinned by behaviour analysis, ABA and verbal behaviour particularly. There's there's more to it than that. There's, there's obviously a multidisciplinary team. So perhaps, Tom, could you give us a, um, a bit of a rundown of the context of services and how they're integrated? Sure. So we have a therapies team that works alongside the um, ABA professionals and the teaching professionals at Beyond Autism. We have a therapies team made up of speech and language therapists, as well as occupational therapists. Um, and actually kind of working on self-regulation is something that's re really important to do together um, and, and bring these professionals together. 
So particularly from a therapist's perspective on this, um, OT and SLT, speech and language therapists, work very closely to, to support this because the, the kind of key factors in, in uh, emotional regulation and, and particularly also self-regulation is to provide our, our students, our learners with the ability to communicate their own feelings um, and also to provide them strategies to manage that self-regulation and emotional regulation, um, which is something that needs to be done and obviously be generalised throughout their their day, you know, throughout their, their, their week. So it's not just about what we can do individually, but it's about putting strategies in that, that support them across their week. OK, thanks, Tom. And then, Taylor, before uh, we started the podcast today, we were having a conversation about the the differences or, or the things that run alongside each other from a... Uh, regulation point of view do you want to kind of revisit that point because I thought it was a good one yeah so we were talking about how self-regulation kind of encompasses emotional regulation I kind of see them sometimes as separate so um, definitely you need to be able to regulate your emotions to manage your whole self the language and you've got the the, the language side of things but then you've oh, also right. potentially the the physical side of stuff that you could do yes. that might have an impact on you physiologically. Yeah, so working alongside the speech language therapist, we would look at the strategies like Tom mentioned just before. So making sure that the strategies that pupils are engaging in to manage their emotions and, and to self-regulate, making sure that those meet our sensory needs. So trialing different ones, making sure that they're suitable and functional for the learner, specifically taking into consideration their sensory sensory needs as well as the environment that they're in okay thank you so Jordana obviously from a behavioral point of view and the training that both you and I have done and lots of people are listening to for CEUs we've also done doesn't immediately spring into behaviorism does it I mean we know we had Skinner's kind of uh, internal events as environment uh, we understand that behaviors are selected by the environment and so on um so I guess, how did you navigate the the necessity of self-management and almost the almost mentalistic representations of that in the literature? So if you look at the Kuiper's fly for zones regulation, for example, lots of it are, sounds lovely, but how would you do it? And then how would you know? So from your point of view, and given that you were working with a much older cohort at this stage, as I remember rightly. Yeah, so they are age 16 to 19, so the older group. Um, so they're all kind of, especially the class that I did this study with um, was year 14. So they're that the older group. They were getting ready to leave us, moving on to a post-19 provision. So obviously really important that these skills are worked on, um, especially kind of going forward, things changing. And we all know that kind of people with autism may find that kind of changes and um, differences may like impact and um, have like social impacts on their behaviour really. So yeah, really, really important. Um, yeah, like you said, um, obviously very difficult talking about emotions, something you can't really see um, and kind of behaviourally, how do we overcome that? Um, so kind of what we looked at, uh, we looked at in this study, kind of worked with four different learners within this um, case study um, and looking at each what behaviours they kind of displayed when, I don't know, key events, um, key antecedents occurred that they didn't particularly like. So, for example, being told no to something, what behaviours did they exhibit at that point? If they were interrupted, um, something they didn't particularly like, then what behaviours did we see that could kind of suggest almost that 
um, they're experiencing an emotional change. So that's kind of where we started with it, really, um, kind of just seeing and kind of analysing those behaviours that we could link to um, emotional um, changes within that individual. So I thought it was really interesting about uh, your case study, particularly in, in the introduction, that you referenced the COP article in 82, which talks about um, individuals must first have prerequisite skills to delay actions when requesting a behaviour according to caregivers' expectations, which has got very much 80s language attributed to it because it all sounds a little bit cold and so forth. However, the prerequisite skills piece thing really interests me there. Like, what, how did you go about either teaching or using or, you know, helping the using and applying of pre prerequisite skills for the guys that were in the study? So this there's not too much information about how to teach um, these kind of emotional skills to our type of learners. The kind of zones of regulation itself, you'll kind of see from the title, I had to modify it. Um, there are the particular learners that we worked with have quite severe autism. They need additional support um, in a lot of lot of areas. So it was quite difficult to try and work out, work through that and um, what's the best way to teach them, really. So kind of looking at what we use at the school already, we use um, different assessments. We use ABLE's EFL assessments. So kind of looking at um, those assessments and seeing what kind of emotional um, regulation type behaviours that we could see from those skill sets. And then also the kind of looking at the literature, really, just to see what is out there that kind of suggests that um, are ways to teach our learners really to uh, about emotions and how to self-regulate those. So I think a key one, the Williams and Schellenberger article kind of broke it down. It, it's um, identifying kind of engine speeds they kind of refer to it as um like trains i think engines uh which i found interesting but uh kind of kind of translating it a bit it's around kind of teaching them about the the language around emotions um and kind of an adult modeling um initially those kind of emotions so we try to do in the school as much as possible um modeling kind of how the adults are feeling um how the staff are feeling and then um kind of it's difficult you can't suggest that a learner uh, may be feeling that way if you're not 100% sure which I've kind of gone um, into a little bit later. That's the bit I really struggle with is yeah and I think I mean I can't imagine it's not the case across all disciplines mm. that particularly when you're working with non-verbal learners or guys that have got other AAC devices or um a developmental language delay or that sort of thing like how is it you know how they're actually feeling and it's almost a rhetorical question in a lot of ways and you know sometimes you can look at the observable behavior yeah. but then I share your frustration like when you look at um things like certs let's take that as an example because you reference it in your in your case study it's a framework it's it doesn't really doesn't tell you how to teach it though. no it's like it's like this would be good if they could have it it's like yeah no we agree yeah. tell us how so go ahead yeah definitely and that is the, that is the difficulty it's how do you know how someone else is feeling if they can't tell you it's it's a really tricky one and from a behavioral point of view you can only go from what you can kind of observably see um and kind of differences there because you can't you can't assume that they feel in a particular way um it's a similar kind of thing to pain really how do you know unless i'm a medical doctor and you can do like x-rays and stuff 
how do you know someone's in pain? That's the, the difficulty. It's very similar. Um, so then, so then let, let, let's uh, let's find out what the AHP perspective would be here. So Taylor or Tom, either either one of you guys want to come across now and just sort of give us. Uh, do you share the frustration there, or do you do you see other ways that one might approach it? No, I think that we definitely share the same kind of frustrations and doing the exact same thing you're trying to observe like I think it was key that you wrote in your um, case study sorry that um, you didn't assume that the pupil was feeling a certain way it was quite you were trying to wait to identify until it's quite concrete I think one of the ways that we kind of discussed during our like education session to the like staff across the school is we tried to then use ourselves as the model because we knew for a fact how we were feeling to try and model it that way that was one way in which we tried for like that explicit teaching yeah i think you know totally agree with with all those points so far that you and, and jordana have talked about and i think the, the key to, to some of this is actually not uh preempting what somebody's feeling and not kind of actually labeling oh you're feeling angry or you're feeling upset or, or whatever that is because actually we don't know um and it's about finding that out and and supporting our learners in particular to to really have a strategy to identify that in themselves in other people and then to be able to kind of get strategies that will support them to to manage those those behaviors or all those feelings um, and I think what's so key and crucial you know in our setting is that you know we're quite skilled in in understanding our learners and, and adapting you know interventions or approaches to to you know suit their needs and to 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 get the best out of them okay thanks for that tom okay before we move on to kind of the methodology and so on uh it's time for our first keyword uh and our first keyword provider is going to be jordana so when you're ready jordana keyword one keyword one is pineapple all right thanks for that let's move on cool so i, I kind of feel like we've got a we've actually got a much larger kind of macro level problem, which is around um, how we go about teaching this, this regulation, this emotions, this self-regulation and so on. We've identified that it's physiological, which clearly would be in terms of the, <clears throat> if nothing else, the observable behavior. And then obviously there's a level of language that's required. So we touched on prerequisites uh, there, Jordana. Can you kind of, take us through now the methodology and, and, and other bits and pieces that would help us take the journey through your case study. Uh, so I've already mentioned um, the, the all the kind of participants that we're working with, there's four of them uh, and they're in their final year of sixth form. Um, so obviously really important that we're working on these skills. The four participants ranged in abilities, um, had different baseline skills um, when we took the baseline data. Um, so for example, participant Jay um, was able to recognise other people's emotions, however, failed to recognise any emotions within themselves. They've also got participant R recognising other people's emotions um, and they started to uh, state how they were feeling in particular circumstances under particular antecedents. However, this wasn't concrete and they didn't really generalise across um, different environments and different settings. So were these guys using sort of vocal, verbal language uh, so that you knew that they could recognise emotions? Yeah, so all of these participants were actually vocal learners. Um, they had a range, so some of them spoke in sentences, some of them just one or two words. But yeah, they were all uh, vocal learners rather than kind of AAC. Um, so yeah, so that, so yes, yeah, so it's kind of looking at 
the different baseline skills. So we had kind of recognizing others' emotions. Um, participant F uh, kind of had quite intense challenging behaviors around um, emotional kind of behaviors um, when he became quite upset um, or when he didn't something particularly uh, they didn't particularly like happened that's where we would see quite um, intense challenging behaviors obviously really important that we are teaching kind of self-regulation how to manage those behaviors um, and kind of be more appropriate with those behaviors but he wasn't able to identify, he didn't really have many baseline skills. He wasn't able to identify his own behaviours, others' behaviours. His main form of communication around emotions was kind of problem behaviour. Um, so that was a really uh, main focus for him. And then we had participant D, who was able to recognise others' emotions. And he, he visibly got upset. Um, we could observe this when others were upset. So that's where you might see him like physically crying or um, kind of other things like clenching fists. So those kind of observable behaviours that we could see. Um, that's where we took it that, okay, he doesn't like this. This is something that makes him sad. Um, and that kind of expressing his emotion through that way. Do you see like th- like a clear environmental relationship between these things? So there's there's another layer to all of this as well, which I'm, mm. which uh, we might be able to talk about a bit later. But like how so if you, if something happens to you or I in the morning, let's just call it a setting event for yeah. and scenes to cause a different behaviour or or it, to evoke you know different mo's and 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 reinforces and so on. So. Were these very much immediate environmental? And not sit- always, no, definitely not. And yeah, like setting events for our learners, especially if we don't know that these setting events have happened. So, for example, they might not slept well that night. If the parents or we don't get that communication through, then we're not necessarily aware that that's the case. And they might not, they probably can't tell us that um, they haven't had a good night's sleep. So that definitely has a massive impact on even my own emotions, my own behaviour, how, how, how I go about my day. So kind of definitely it has a massive impact on our learners um, and how they how they kind of regulate and get through the day, really, based on that. So, yeah, 100 percent setting events is a big thing. So the majority of what obviously we observed in schools was kind of clear antecedents where we've kind of take we obviously take quite a lot of data around what causes like problem behaviors um, and the key antecedents associated with that so we have that data already uh, so now then it was kind of looking at okay right what can we do to kind of teach our learners about kind of how to can communicate that how they're feeling this way or if they don't like something and trying to develop that that sense um, of kind of communication and reducing that problem behavior mm. so then it moves on starts talking about materials procedure and so on can you take us through those things we started visuals are quite useful when teaching just generally across the board so we looked at um, what visuals we could use with our learners Um, so kind of the zones of regulation has their different colours green being happy um, kind of the optimum zone they call it the yellow which is kind of silly frustrated kind of gitty that kind of that kind of mood blue which is low sad um, and then red which is kind of the non-functioning kind of zone where you're kind of angry or you just you're like overtired you just can't get on with your day at all so we kind of use those different colors and I think they were really helpful with our learners as well in kind of identifying the different emotions and the different zones 
and we had that as kind of a, a visual board. So I've, I've put an example at the, um, the end of the case study um, of the type of board we used uh, with kind of really um, simple language around kind of emotions and kind of specific to that learner, kind of we've got some feedback from parents about what they thought their, their child was feeling um, and kind of what words were more appropriate. So you can kind of see that there's, there's words like worried or if they're unwell, tired. They're kind of words that the learner had some kind of relationship or understanding of or history with, really. Um, so that's why we chose those specific languages and that, that kind of those words. So, yeah, and then we came up with working with kind of the therapist team and kind of just our knowledge of the learners, what activities they liked um, that kind of helped them calm, like relaxing activities and then activities that kind of stimulated um uh, kind of under each zone really so that's kind of where we went with in terms of like the materials that, and it, it did vary based on different learners everyone's different in terms of what stimulates and what calms each of them so they all had very individualized um, like visual boards to work with which is was vital right I mean you can't really do this without that it otherwise it just becomes I mean really like look reading through your case studies the, the level of personalization is what's really striking about it and then you just start thinking to yourself you know you can't teach this generically especially with the cohort that we 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 are working with here because you know we you and I uh, Tom or Taylor we could all go to like a let's explore emotions workshop and we're having like different reactions to different things aren't we like in that moment we can regulate ourselves and so on but as the level of language that we have and understanding and what the environment does and how we then select our responses to those um i guess verbal stimuli i suppose that in a nutshell is a self-regulation piece but if you're, you literally cannot just go around teaching tax this means happy this nope. means sad. no no and I think in the past that's definitely what had happened with our learners as well they were they were taught to label different pictures of how different people were feeling and they just didn't generalize it to um pass those pictures which obviously in reality that's not it's not helpful for them moving forward either so yeah it was it's really important to individualize it and just kind of take a step back and see right okay for this individual what's the most important thing and how do we know how they're feeling and what can we do to kind of teach them and build up on these skills to so they can kind of have some kind of um what's the word I'm trying to think some kind of control I suppose over how they manage their behaviors and how they can uh, respond appropriately just bringing in the the AHP team again here guys is there, is there you know just your own reflections on that section really like what how you feel around or what your experiences are about personalization but then again, you know, what what does the research tell you guys around the effects of language, effects on language, should I say, when somebody is becoming more agitated or more stressed or going through an escalation cycle or even the type of typical um, or usual things one might observe physiologically from an OT point of view that would indicate to people that aren't working with vocal verbal learners, like what might be constituting stress or sadness or what have you in, in that that type of person i think to answer the first point i think that the, the kind of key to this particular approach and there are many but the zones of regulation is that the the colors remain constant of those particular zones and i, th I think that's really crucial and i think having that consistent approach across the organization or across the setting that the, the learner is in 
is really crucial because you're right that you know we don't we can't we have to make it very bespoke for each learner so the, the particular vocab as Jordana was saying has to be made bespoke to that learner the, the symbolism that's used there you know the, the examples that Jordana's got are the kind of emoticon faces for some learners that just doesn't mean anything you know for other learners it does and you can make it more bespoke. I know often um, the, the zones of regulations are linked to the, to the I think it's a Disney Pixar film Inside Out, where there are kind of characters that relate to the the actual emotions. So there's, um, you know, the, the anger character, I think, relates to the red zone. Um, I think joy is the, the happy character that relates to the green zone. So so those kind of things can be can be used as well. And And what's really interesting is I think that, you know, actually the sort of, young people that would have the need to access something like this are those learners that actually have speech language and communication needs and actually it's kind of I suppose around 50 to 80 percent of children with those needs that that have these kind of challenges around you know self-regulation and emotional regulation. Mm. Okay and then uh, Taylor from your point of view is that the things that you might see you would look out for advise people on in regards to physiological responses that could be observed definitely i think jordana um, explained quite well just before and i think from um, an observational perspective when you're discussing the different emotions you're also trying to attribute those to physical and physiological responses like you've said like crying you might be upset so you can see you know tears forming in someone's face um, you know, silly, sometimes like you're starting to move a lot more and that might look different for different pupils, like we were saying, because everyone is different. Um, but yeah, making sure that we can teach those. And then also I think a good thing that um, I guess we do in our setting from an ABA perspective is, nat is natural environment teaching. So trying to kind of use that throughout the day as well, not just in those individual sessions so that they can start to attribute, you know, that happy picture that's not just the picture that's also like how I'm feeling when I'm doing different activities and things like that and then again from the perspective of what kind of is calming us and what is stimulating us um, you've drawn on that piece of evidence which is how does your engine run that's a great program looking at um, self-regulation I guess overall and then I guess when we look at zones of regulation how we draw on that on things from that is looking at making sure that we've individualized the activities that children are engaging in. So what might be alerting for myself might not be alerting for you. Same for our other pupils and you you identified that before. All right, thanks for that. So it kind of we're starting to build now, I think, a way that this can be more behavioral, right? Like we've kind of we're looking at setting events, antecedents, the personalization. And I guess what we're really talking about there is the reinforcer. Like when you're personalizing in that way so again I think we've kind of almost written like a nice piece of blurb uh, you know we sound like coipers now like these are all the reasons why you need to do it but we still haven't got to the how so <laughs> you go for the how now Jordana because you, you know we're going now to the experimental design the intervention and so on so go for yeah. it yeah no problem um so yeah so as we said we've got the four participants so they were all introduced to an individualized emotion board um, so it had depending on the learner between the three and four different zones of emotions um, on there and then kind of under each of these emotions uh, was either a list or uh, a picture or representation 
um, of kind of activities or strategies which they could use to help regulate or self-regulate um, themselves kind of back to uh, the optimum zone of the, the green zone. So yeah, this this did vary per on how they got on with this, um, which I'll go on to in a bit. So we we took our baseline data, we, we kind of assessed what do our learners have already, what skills they have in kind of emotional understanding. And as you can kind of see across the participants, this did range in terms of their different skill sets that they had. They were asked in kind of the baseline to match pictures of others displaying different emotions to the emotion board. So it's about, do they have the understanding? Can they match how other people are feeling to their own emotion board? And that kind of was a clear example of, of how useful the, the board itself was gonna be kind of, they've worked on kind of matching different people with that felt sad um people that are happy they've worked on all those skills but can they now match that to the the board that we've just given them that's going to help them hopefully to um, understand their own emotions and self-regulate um, come up with some strategies so that was kind of a key thing to kind of look at in our baseline kind of once that was mastered we then looked at kind of what protocol do we want to put in place in terms of the kind of the team working with this individual to teach these emotions and how about do we want to go about doing this so I kind of explained it a little bit, but kind of the key aspect of it was the the tutor or the staff member working with them shouldn't tell the learner how they're feeling unless they're 100% sure that they are feeling that way. And we've kind of, we've already discussed this is very difficult to be able to do. So it's like, how do we do this? So what we did was those key events, those key antecedents that we'd kind of already taken data on, we knew had an impact on the learner's behaviour. At that point, we would try and do it in the natural environment. We wouldn't, we would set up um, key these key antecedents throughout the day but we wouldn't necessarily do this at a table teaching the most important thing was kind of the generalization of these skills so it was really important that we focused on that from the start so for example one of our learners um, struggled with things breaking so the computer breaking the internet not working um, and kind of examples of behaviors where we saw behavioral changes kind of like the, the tense upper body the clapping hands the hitting them um, firmly together on the table gritting teeth so they're kind of all behavioral kind of um, that we saw that kind of indicated to us that he was feeling this particular way and at that point we would then get the would have the board out all the time our um, emotion board and at that point we would ask how are you feeling rather than saying okay we think you're in this zone like you're feeling sad this is you know this is okay to feel sad uh, we would ask them how they're feeling and if they're in ask them are you in the blue zone, for example, and then kind of pointing to the the strategy board, the the emotion board. At that point, it's kind of does the learner independently say which zone they're in. Obviously, there is the risk of this in terms of this becomes a rote response. They just want to um, say what we've just said. That yes, I'm feeling sad. So there is that risk. Um, sort of part man part attack that's exactly it that's exactly yeah. it there is that risk of it becomes row and um, that was a real struggle in kind of teaching it but I knew that 
the most important thing wasn't to tell we couldn't tell them how they were feeling that was kind of the most important thing unless we were 100% clear kind of from that point we kind of looked at the different strategies that the learner could take part in um, so, for example, in the the board that I've kind of shown, if they felt worried, um, we would then go and do some kind of breathing exercises and um, like, in like, like a body sock type thing. And those strategies, we saw then a reduction in the, the behavioural um, side of things. So we saw kind of he became what we call the, the calm body, um, kind of a bit more relaxed, the fists and the, um, the grinding of the teeth lessened, his face wasn't as tense, his other body wasn't tense. So we actually saw the change in the behavioural side of things um, when we introduced these strategies. So that's kind of how we saw that, okay, right, there is a link between these kind of calming strategies when these behaviours happen, it does have an impact and it does almost reinforce um, the behaviours and obviously kind of almost reduce them really, not reinforce. So yes, we saw a real impact in terms of that. So we kind of went with those. If the strategies didn't work, then that's where we would reconsider. We'd come together as an MDT with the therapists right what do we need to look at what is actually the breathing for example didn't always work are there other strategies we could put in place that could help kind of calm relax this particular learner the data that we kind of took on this we looked at prompted versus independent initiations of using the emotion board and then also engaging in the appropriate strategies with the view that the there'll be kind of a reduction in these behaviors um, that we saw so for example participant f he had quite aggressive behaviors relating to um, different emotions and when key antecedents happened and we looked at kind of what impact did these strategies things like asking for a break had on his behavior um, with the view obviously trying to reduce the challenging behaviors when i don't know he was didn't like something for example he'd ask for a break those type of things. So we took data on that just to see how effective the strategies and the emotion board was. Okay, so then that that was the run through the the intervention. Mm-hmm. You've, you've put something in here around the protocol for tutors. I think you made a really key point in that about always having the board visible to the participant because I guess what you don't want to do is kind of arrange the environment to say well now you're allowed to feel things or now you're allowed to react. Definitely. Is that a deliberate move on your part? Yeah, definitely. We had um, some issues with um, participant D, I think it was, who the initially the the board would be put away and then it would come out and then it became really adversive um, to that learner. So every time it came out, it's like a, a massive deal. And we had to really systematically repair the board. So having it out all the time, no matter what the instance, yes, you're right, it does allow for the learners to be able to like be able to emotionally um kind of communicate at all times but also it doesn't become an aversive kind of stimuli always comes out when a bad event happens um yeah that association definitely happened for participant d so yeah really important that it's always out always visible just for communication also it doesn't become an aversive stimuli so yeah for sure because they're continually i mean it's really interesting like uh concept behavior isn't it like you have 
the presence of a stimuli whilst let's just say an environmental presence of, of emotion yeah of feeling angry let's say or in the red zone and then you have this board that always comes out with it it's yeah. unsurprising there's like a kind of a stimulus equivalence that comes into play i'm really interested around the reinforcers here because some maybe this is a part for the discussion and we can talk about it as a, as a team in a little while but like i wonder whether because it well, being devil's advocate, okay, mm-hmm. as a behaviour analyst, I'm just thinking, okay, is this not just a load of elaborate escape-based contingencies? And if so, that might be cool. So, you know, is that what it is? Um, or are, do, do you think that the measures that you have, the measures that you can literally touch and observe, are indicative of emotional regulation? Or do you think it's more around controlling access to reinforcers? Is it what you're effectively teaching? Yeah, I think it's that. I think... It obviously is important that they, our learners can communicate and be able to ask like any of us we can ask for a break if we want a break we can ask to do some relaxation and yeah i feel it's it is about improving and increasing that communication um around the different kind of events that happen or the antecedents there probably is an escape element to be honest so like if they're feeling tired and they want to have a break that's okay really isn't it I don't feel like we should like not teach that um, just because it's an escape um, behavior I think that's more appropriate than I don't know kicking someone to get the same effect really so yeah I think it is about appropriate communication um, under kind of those key events that happen in a learner's life uh, or anyone's life and how to react appropriately something that we did consider in one of them was kind of the happy zone and obviously the happy zone you probably get access free access to all your reinforcers um the computer the thing and obviously it it, it get a lot of reinforcement from oh you're in the happy zone great this is really good and that's where the issue came that we had one of the learners i think it was uh, participant jay who would always say that he's in the happy zone no matter what he was always happy because that's he knew that that's what people wanted him to say and he also knew that he'd get free access to all his reinforcers so it was yeah, about yeah. kind of balancing that as well um in terms of um obviously teaching it's okay to be tired it's okay to be unwell and worried and you don't always have to be in a happy zone um so yeah that's that's a real struggle as well because uh, you get so much a social praise almost from saying oh you're happy oh that's great whereas if you say you're sad or unwell people are like oh okay you know or maybe i'll just take a step back and <laughs> i won't get too close to you that right. kind of thing. I mean, so, yeah but these are all like risk benefit conversations yeah yeah <laughs> So do you, can you, um, actually, Tom, bringing the speech and language side of things into it now, what's your view on that? Like, I've had many supervisory conversations with colleagues around um, the the importance of people being able to request to leave a space they don't want to be in or, you know, to avoid a demand. And it's almost as if that comes as a bit of a stigma and issues like well, why would we teach children to be able to move away from things like what's your kind of speech and language focus or professional kind of thoughts on that given that you would have experienced the many many years of working in behavioral settings as well as kind of more national health-based settings sure i think you know there is there is that element to it and i was just listening to jordana and thinking about I guess also how to some extent you know 
sort of recommending to be in this green zone, which is the, the happy zone, the optimal zone, can sometimes also cause an anxiety in learners because they're sort of desperate to to get, you know, in this zone or stay in this zone. And and equally that can cause sort of anxiety and then bring you into, you know, what would be then the yellow zone where you're feeling more frustrated and you're feeling actually quite anxious around things. So it's it's a really interesting one because you know, we we do want to kind of support our learners to do that, and from that language perspective, I think it's it's important to to you know enable our learners to to get into that zone, uh, the the green zone. But um, yeah, you just have to be very mindful about you know how you're using that language to support that. I think. Mm. And then Taylor, from your point of view, like obviously the um, I mean, it's such a complicated or concept driven area would you expect to see more observable physical behavior there from a ot point of view so i think again adding to every what everyone else has said it's quite difficult i guess what i would add is there's usually a lot of liaison between the multidisciplinary teams so we're kind of constantly kind of reviewing which jordana did touch on okay this is actually kind of maybe too motivating and then they're trying to use it for an escape potentially but also the other thing I guess I would note is when we're looking at the strategies and we're prescribing them because we're wanting them to be I guess specific um, and intentional about them we're trying to make them internally motivating across the board so that when you are in green zone you know you don't have to get the best reinforcement because when I'm kind of just staying calm doing my own thing you know getting work done that's kind of you don't really get all the chocolates and the sweets all the time so I think it is um, difficult but again constantly liaison trying to figure out what is appropriate and what isn't but yeah being aware that it is an important skill for any one of us a child or an adult to be able to say I don't want to do this like you were were saying before yeah, no, and I, I've, I've had conversations with people about how that's, that becomes more of a, that feels like a safeguarding issue for me. If, if a child never knows how to say no or how to move away, exactly. like, what are you teaching them about the world, you know? Exactly. Okay, cool. So um, you touched on it earlier, actually, Taylor, but it was um, more of a question for Jordana then. So we've, we've then, Taylor talks about natural environment teaching, and I kind of think that really sits alongside the kind of teaching loosely idea of generality particularly although you'd be acquiring skills at the same time how easy how um or what what did you start to see data or data points or impact in environments that that were more kind of I'm walking down the corridor at school and something goes bad for me you know did you see responses there definitely I think in particular with participant F, there was a there was a massive turnaround kind of introducing these communication side of strategies, I suppose. And yeah, definitely there was one instance where just walking down the corridor, which would have normally um, caused like quite aggressive behaviour and he just kind of like stopped and then said that he wanted to move. And I was like, this is brilliant. Yes, let's do this. So it was very much escape and it was very much... Uh, that we reinforce that straight away because it was more appropriate. So yeah, definitely generalising of skills is the most important thing with all of this. You can sit at a table, you can get them to match pictures of different emotions to different zones. However, if they're not doing it in their their real environment, when these naturally occurring um, antecedents or events happen, 
then it's kind of what's the point really why why are we teaching these things um so yeah we did start to see it we start to see in um in participant jay as well board actually went home with him and parents reported that he started uh, recognizing his own emotions and using these strategies independently at home which was fantastic really really positive um feedback from parents and yeah just a really good um, kind of intervention especially for that learner yeah, so where the real stuff happens, isn't it? I mean, yeah, definitely. Don't to yeah. teach, but there's, you know, the more important thing is is going going home. I was just looking through your article here and looking at the at the um at the visuals. I know you touched on it earlier, but what what kind of inspired those of these existing visuals that you adapted? Yeah, so the lazy eight breathing kind of eight um, that is from the zones of regulation um, manual itself, um, and I suppose the idea is that it kind of slows your breathing. Um, kind of, it, we had to teach this quite intensively, kind of separately, because you kind of you're doing the eight, the figure of eight, and then the learners were like breathing in and kind of almost hyperventilating. So. <laughs> That's obviously not good for kind of relaxing. So again, separate note, we had to teach kind of (laughs) slow, deep breathing that didn't cause hyperventilation. Um, So yeah, that was, for that particular learner, that worked really well. Um, It didn't work for uh, the other three. It didn't, it wasn't effective, but it worked really well. That's why I've put it in there. In terms of the kind of visual boards, it's, it's, very similar to what the zones of regulation um, manual has, um, but just with key kind of visuals for that particular learner. Some learners might have, I don't know, particular favourite um, cartoon characters, and then we would have that in as their kind of facial features. Um, this learner could read, so we had some words in. So yeah, it kind of did did vary um, what the board looked like and the different strategies um, each mm-hmm. learner used. Okay, brilliant. And and um, so, I mean, anything you want to add more about the results of, of your study? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the results are really positive. Um, all participants had some kind of um, post-intervention behaviour change. Behaviour, challenge in behaviour was reduced and communication was increased. So that, you know, in itself is fantastic. And um, that's what we're kind of the whole aim of it was to reduce problem behaviour and increase that communication. So, for example, I already briefly mentioned that participant Jay, the board, managed to go home um, and was generalising these skills to the home setting with parents, which is fantastic. And kind of the number of prompts needed to identify each emotion and what strategy to use was really reducing um, at that point as well. Uh, he's actually he's gone to another setting now and um, got some feedback. They're actually still using this in that setting. Um, so that's really positive. The other participants, I mentioned participant F already, his problem behaviour, the aggressive behaviour dramatically decreased. Um, There were obviously quite a few other strategies going on, but just that kind of key communication around how he was feeling, asking for a break was really beneficial for him in reducing that kind of problem behaviour. And then we've got participant D, who I mentioned about the emotion board and becoming aversive. Um, That took a while to overcome that, um, repairing that through similar stimulus pairing. Um, It it was kind of keeping it out at all times. I suppose that's something to learn from um, the procedure that the board needs to stay out. It can't go away and come out when the um, behaviours occur or the different emotional states. (laughs) However, yeah, at that point, we found that he was able to 
kind of identify how he was feeling and kind of point to the different bores, but wasn't really using any of these strategies independently. Uh, so I think more work probably needed with that um, and working around that was needed. Okay, great. So where does that leave you, do you think, at the end of all of this? Like if we, we've, I think it's a very, it kind of feels like a knife edge, right? Like when you're thinking about this from a behavioural point of view, like you do, you can start to explain it behaviourally a bit and then I feel like you can quite quickly tip into yeah rest. definitely <laughs> and then it's like oh hang on no what are we actually doing and and something that really struck me a point you made just now was around um other strategies running alongside mm. and I think that people just this is gonna sound a bit left field but it'll, it'll make sense in a second so like when when you look at certs which is you know motion regulation obviously it is kind of central tenants to that and I suppose a lot of this work where you can look just at zones regulation falls out the back of the focus on that and then listeners that haven't yet kind of looked into how certs exist as a framework it was literally a response to ABA being the only way particularly in the states and it was you know president and, and colleagues who kind of looked I think back in 2006 is it 2009 around how it was really important to have kind of the transactional support which is you kind of multi-disputing working so of course for for beyond autism that's not a particularly stressful um place to be like conceptually that's fine because we as an organization been doing it for years and years but when they talk about uh emotional regulation it and to a certain extent it kind of bridges social communication as well they talk about learners being ready to learn and as a framework makes perfect sense and for for behavior analysts and people that are working in ABA settings they should recognize that token systems at the beginning or you know the man for the reinforcer is, is the beginnings of emotion regulation right because without that you don't have you talk about prerequisites that is a prerequisite going forward it opens so many kind of cusp um, based behaviors for people so yeah uh, it feels like what you're able to demonstrate is you can definitely overcome the beginnings of the issues around emotion regulation and, and so on, but it relies on so much other, other work. Would you, what would you make of that? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like um, COP, uh, she mentioned this in her um, kind of article study as well, in terms of it is about those prerequisites. So can a learner, I suppose, the rule governing behaviours that um, adults put in place, even down to like little babies, do they do they follow the rules that staff or parents are giving them? And it's about them following those rules and then knowing that those rules are what I need to follow. And then that's kind of how they develop that um, those behavioural understandings, I suppose, in terms of this is the behaviour that's 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 right, that's wrong, um, goes into a very like wishy-washy kind of territory, I suppose, not particularly behavioural. And yeah, it is about identifying that I think and the without like a learner not not being able to like for example one of our learners uh, particular participant f we had a um, token system in place for his behavior so we were reinforcing um, his more appropriate behaviors it was on a DRO um, so we were reinforcing um, other behaviors um, that were more appropriate than kind of the aggressive behaviors so the impact of that 
alongside kind of increasing the communication around the emotions and things he didn't like asking for breaks for example had a real impact on his behavior and him kind of knowing that right this is the behavior that I get my reinforcement for that's um the more appropriate behavior and then everything else that I do it doesn't get it doesn't get reinforced to us not going to be not not beneficial for me to carry on doing so yeah there are lots of things I suppose in the background um this this study just being kind of a snippet really of how we've taught this but yeah kind of in the background there's lots of other behavioral um kind of interventions being put in place increasing manding like is really a big thing does the people have a voice can they express um what they want what they like what they don't like those key things i think that all of it together has had a big impact on um this kind of the impact of this study i think and the learners being able to identify their own emotions and um going forward really so to to the to the guys um who've been sort of sitting patiently as we waffle on behaviorally what do you guys make of this like it's obviously really interesting like this there isn't a to get to this so the learners that were were, that were kind of looked at their data for this study or jordana should i say or you guys the multisimer team there's no kind of on off switch here is there there's not like a we taught this in isolation and then therefore they were able to identify happy, tired, or worried, it was kind of almost. We talked about prerequisites earlier, but there's there's clearly you need to have like multiple skills or disciplines if you want to put it that way working together. I mean, what what was your take on this, Bill? Guys, I, I think it's hugely important. I think it's you know like we were saying, it's around the the level of understanding that these young people have and the level of expressive language they have to, as a starting point, really, to be able to you know, work out what we're going to use. And I know we've talked a lot about visuals within this to support that. I think as well, to some extent, there's a there's an element almost of, of kind of objects of reference use as well in terms of kind of a toolkit that might be produced for our learners. And I know that's definitely something that the OTs have, have worked upon because actually it's, it's finding the strategies or the activity or the resource that will then you know, bring you back into the green zone or bring you back up out of the blue zone or or bring you down from the yellow zone or whatever it might be. And I think that's that's hugely important as well. So, you know, it, it isn't just looking at it from that behavioural perspective, but but ensuring that the MDT perspective is there to to work together to to ensure the strategy are in place. I, I don't know, Taylor, if you want to add anything anything to that. I think we've all kind of agreed we kind of started this saying that emotions were a very complex thing to I guess learn and that zones was a framework and I think we again we've just added agreeing in the same thing so it's important to have a framework like this especially for learners that we're working with where it's even more complex to understand different emotions what that looks like across the board but no yeah I think it just reiterates what we're all saying that it's all a collaborative way of learning and that's really essential for all of us to move forward for the learners cool okay thanks thanks for that guys is there any, so Jordana from a literally now just focusing on the behavioral side of things is there something that what what would you do now I mean and that might be a really large question but like if, if you wanted to take a next phase in this I mean, because I, I kind of, as a field, I think we're kind of obsessed with the cause and effect, aren't we? We really want to be able to say, do this and this will happen. And I think 
probably the closest we're ever going to get to that with emotional regulation is around can the learner access the reinforcers a different type of language i mean that's probably teach that and then you're somewhere close to it whether you call it emotional regulation or whatever but like that's that really but from a from your point of view like obviously i think i think you're still working with this uh, age group like are you thinking have you given it any more thought about how you might do it differently or the same even or or what yeah definitely uh it's difficult like we we have obviously different learners that i'm working with now and they've got different abilities i feel like having something that i don't know like a, a document or a thing of like key skills like kind of nice to have good to have must have skills might be the way forward in terms of kind of identifying what those prerequisites are looking right, at yeah. what skills our learners have <laughs> yeah putting more work for myself um and seeing okay right what kind of what can we build upon really what does I say it's, it's a difficult one because there's probably so many skills that we probably haven't even thought about in terms of the teaching and we've kind of touched on just a little bit I feel in terms of teaching emotions and um this kind of the language around that and yeah like building it up from the smallest like little like can they follow um instructions from um an adult to, through to them maybe being able to um you know, identify their own emotions and being able to kind of change their own emotions based on the environment they're in. Um, yeah, I feel like that's something that I've kind of been looking into for our learners now in terms of identifying all those different skills and kind of almost putting together a little assessment around this just to identify those skills and the skill deficits that our learners don't have how to teach them um, a most effective way of teaching them obviously I feel more research probably needs to be done around that um, and my kind of case study is like a very small snippet of four kind of subjects for poor four students so obviously everyone is very different and what might work for one person probably won't work for another person so uh, that's definitely something that I've had this year. I've trialled some things I've done in the past with learners and they've just not been effective for mm. them. So, yeah, it's it's very much individualised what it is, what's beneficial, what's what's going to generalise out. So, for example, the, the zones board, we didn't get a chance in the study to fade it out, but carrying around a, a zones board, especially if it's like an A4 piece of paper, it's not it's not really appropriate in the kind of going out into the community with that can that be reduced down to um kind of small pictures on a keychain can it be um that the learners need that at all and they just um kind of learn these strategies and kind of the associated emotions with them those type of things i think kind of for the, the learner's future and make, making sure that they can kind of go about their day without these massive loads of resources that may have been created that's really important as well yeah because it, it, it almost strikes me as there being um like the visuals and the, the the matching components and and when they become when they come to life for a learner it's almost as if you've been going down the pathway of redundancy cues so mm -hmm. you're creating i guess what you'd hope would be stimuli that somehow Oh God, I can't even bring myself to say it, but like, <laughs> it doesn't sound behavioural, but like it, no. it somehow teach or, or have a stimulus equivalence that then yeah. is under the control of... That's exactly, getting that stimulus control and then can you reduce that down so it's 
it's not a big piece of paper it's I don't know something really small that maybe it's just stuck on the wall in the bed in their bedroom in the mornings they see it and then that is like kind of stays with them for the rest of the day um well, I, mean, that's safe to say, I think it's, it's a tricky concept um but much of like the new wave of behavioral analysis is right like you, you know looked at act and and other bits and pieces like that rft to a certain extent like it, they all even rule governed behavior is hard to explain behaviorally because it, do, it doesn't really have this kind of mm-hmm. abc relationship in the moment Whereas temporal locus is all over the shop and it's really hard to kind of really pin down or that's why or this is how what what role does language play but i suppose it's it's really interesting to to make sure that when you're teaching somebody contingent reinforcement that you recognize as a practitioner that, that small step can contribute to as as distance as it feels uh, to um emotion regulation like yeah <laughs> just because you're then teaching uh i can affect my environment or the environment affects me and then therefore makes me behave and then therefore yeah. i should get reinforced yeah there you go That's okay <laughs> until, <laughs> until i consign myself to the annals of don't quite get behavior analysis in this context i'm going to ask taylor for our next key or second key word please glastonbury Glastonbury oh gosh you just made a lot of people very jealous I wonder what zone they're in now that they you know they can't go or couldn't go to Glastonbury given our COVID issues okay cool anyone want to add anything else to this kind of really difficult but uh, a great piece of work but like in terms of how it it looks moving forward or any kind of other comments you want to make particularly from uh, Tom and Taylor I think that um, kind of some take home points for me is the use of the visual, the boards you were saying before, Jordana, and I found that in teaching, like looking at Parkhouse School, which is some of the younger children, that is essential. So we're trying to essentially provide that regularly and consistently throughout the day so it doesn't become a demand and that also then you don't have to repair the board. Um, but also just to show that we can feel the we feel different emotions at all different times throughout the day. Yeah, and I think I guess steps moving forward is ongoing use of visuals, like we've said, ongoing collaboration, definitely important factor of teaching, you know, um, if possible, how to appropriately say you don't want to do something or engage in something. And then also I found quite interesting reading those articles in our discussions today today looking at the prerequisite skills from a behavioural perspective. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm fortunate that I I get to work across, you know, all parts of the organisation. So I suppose thinking around next steps and particularly where these learners were from sixth form and we have a post-19 provision as well. I think, uh, you know, where there's more community opportunity, there's more kind of work experience opportunity for some of our learners, modelling and labeling this ourselves for our learners is is crucial i know there's been some really lovely examples of you know things happening in the environment in the natural environment just out in the community i know that there was a good example of there was a cyclist i think had a bit of road rage with with a with a car that was going past and one of our learners was able to then label and say oh he is in the red zone you know which is a lovely you know piece of generalization and actually for us to keep modeling that as well you know when we're out and about and just 
us saying, oh, you know, we're feeling tired or we're feeling excited or, or whatever it is just to, to support that, because I guess we're moving there more away from classroom teaching, which is the, the starting point of all this, towards more of that generalistic or generalised you know, teaching in, in sort of, you know, to the general environment. And that's exactly what we want for our learners to be able to achieve. OK, well, certainly by the sound of things, we need more work in this area because, you know, I think it's starting to cut across some of the mental health issues that we're that are really sort of rightly prevalent now. And I think probably challenges this idea around um, tolerance of difficult situations that we have probably all kind of been a part of teaching in terms of curricula. How do how do our learners tolerate being around difficult things? And maybe maybe that's not right. Maybe it is about um, I can see it's bad. I don't want to be here. Help me leave that type of scenario. Okay, great. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys today. Thanks for your time. Um, and yeah, please check it check out the rest of the podcasts that are available on the website uh, and follow the instructions about how to gain CEUs. See you later, everyone. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.